So my name is Jason Murphy, and I am uh, well, I'm the teacher of the Santa Cruz Donald Punks group, and I also teach here sometimes too. Uh, here meaning this particular group. And I'm also um, on the board of supervisors here for Vipassana Santa Cruz. So if you don't know me, hi. And if you know me, hi. Nice to see you again. Um, so I've been away for a while. I uh, just got back about, gosh, I don't know. I'm still kind of traveling, actually. But I just um, I was on a pilgrimage kind of to, to the east and to India. And, um, as I've been leading groups uh, recently, there's been questions about you know my travels and specific like why I went and things like this and so I kind of thought I would focus on that this evening um, and and bring it to the here and now uh, because this is where I'm at I'm right here but uh, let's see so yes that's what I'm going to focus on is primarily um talking a little bit about kind of the lineage uh, of this center, um, the guiding teacher here, and kind of going as far back as, as I can, as I know, anyway. Uh, and so that was part of my reason for wanting to travel to Thailand specifically, and then to India. Um, and, you know, I did a couple other stops around there. Japan and Indonesia uh, brought my practice with me. One of my friends um, I was speaking with right before I left to go to uh, on this trip. Um, he said, "What are you going to do in India? There's no Buddhism there." And I said, "Well, I'll bring it with me." And um, and it was he was kind of making a joke, and I was kind of being serious. <laughs> Because really, I, I think that I bring this practice as well as hopefully we all do wherever we go, uh, whatever we do. You know, this practice is just one breath or one sound or one body movement or one moment of uh, awareness away. Um, so we ended up going to uh, uh, Thailand specifically. Uh, for practice, um, I had been to Thailand a num numerous times, and I had been there to practice numerous times. Uh, originally, I went to um, to Thailand uh, because I was interested in vipassana meditation practice that didn't cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, so I spent the money on a plane ticket. <laughs> And uh, experienced some culture, and then sat a couple of vipassana meditation retreats um, in in Thailand, and uh, they were great, and they were difficult, and they were all the things that vipassana meditation retreats are. Um, but I feel like I had just gotten a taste, you know, of uh, the kind of the, the Thai vipassana tradition. So. Um, so that's kind of what motivated this trip to kind of get a little deeper into into this lineage um, that really much of the Vipassana in the West comes from. And so, you know, I'm not sure if you know, so I'll just say, and if this may be a review for some people, but the, so 
So the word vipassana means insight, and it's a form of of meditation um, derived from kind of Pali, where there's there's many different kind of aspects of forms or aspects or forms of meditation that are used or practiced throughout the world. I'm not going to get into all of them um, because primarily this is a vipassana meditation center, and um, so vipassana means insight, right? Insight arise, arising through you know the the um, the practice, well, and this practice being breath or you know mindfulness, you know awareness. Um, and I first learned this particular practice through Mary Grace, uh, Mary Grace Orr, who's the guiding teacher here, and also through uh, my teacher Noah Levine, who's a friend slash teacher. It's kind of hard calling him a teacher, but. He doesn't even like it, but anyway. Um, and then, you know, Jack Cornfield. Uh, and, and Jack Cornfield started Spirit Rock Meditation Center, who both uh, Mary Grace Orr and um, Noah Levine have trained with. So Jack Cornfield was a uh, monastic uh, ordained in um, Thailand and other places, but specifically in Thailand with Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Chah is a, a well-known meditation master who actually died, I think, in about 89, um, maybe a year or two, give or take. Um, and Ajahn Chah, you know, has many books out, and maybe some of you have heard of him. And, um, you know, all, all of us kind of in this lineage tend to uh, quote him because he had such simple deep and deep um, instructions. And he was really a uh, really accessible uh, type of a teacher. So that's kind of how I got introduced to this world of vipassana. I didn't even know what that word meant, you know, when I first started meditating. I, I come from a different kind of. Uh, I learned how to meditate. My my psychologist tricked me into uh, practicing self hypnosis, is what he called it, which was really smart on his. Because if he would have said, you know, Vipassana meditation, I would have ran out the door, you know. And, you know, because uh, I wasn't too interested in kind of what the hippies were doing, you know, in, in when I was 16, 15. Um, so, learning a little bit uh, in the past and then kind of getting more into this, this tradition... And not knowing anything about the lineage or the teaching, just really feeling the practice is what how I kind of got involved in this. I first came to this group, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, and and then I was here for a little while, and then it just I just left. I wasn't into it. I couldn't understand all the heady talk, you know. Uh, I didn't get it, so I continued to practice on my own, and then um, or with friends. And then came back and uh, was ready to kind of hear a little more at that point. Okay. So having kind of been to Spirit Rock and learning a little bit about um, Vipassana in the West, I really wanted to find out, okay, what's Vipassana in the East like, you know, in Asia? Like what's that with, in Southeast Asia specifically? And so uh, so this time that, that, that was my goal. So I went to uh, a place called Wat Pananachat. Wat Pananachat is the only uh, Western monastic you know, monastery in the northeast of Thailand. Um, 
and some of the kind of meditation, you know, kind of great meditation monastics in the United States are actually uh, out of this tradition. You know, Ajahn Sumedho being one. Ajahn Sumedho is the first Western monastic to ever train and ordain in Thailand. And he's still, uh, you know, still ordained <laughs> and still training and teaching. He's like in his 80s now. And um, he actually happened to be at Wat Pananachat while I was there. So I got uh, some really good opportunities to hear some of his teachings. Um, and then also uh, Ajahn Pasano and Ajahn Amaro. And Ajahn means like teaching monk, like, you know, kind of a higher monk. Yeah. And they are co-abbots of a uh, monastery just north of um, kind of Sonoma, Sonora. I can't remember if it's Sonoma or Sonora. But they're Ukiah. They're just north of, of Ukiah, and uh, they have a, a monastery called the Bayagiri, and so they are also connected to this lineage. And I have um, spent time there, and kind of so. So I've been kind of dabbling with, okay, what's you know what's this teaching like, and why is it important, and why is lineage important? Why does it matter? Um, so. Going to Thailand and spending some time at Wat Pananachat and kind of seeing this monastery that was created really out of uh, a motivation to spread the Dharma, to spread the teaching of of the Buddha to um, to the West and to anyone who wanted to learn. You know, there's no uh, you know there's no requirements. You know, the requirement is that you have some work to do, and and if you're willing to do it, then great. You know, welcome. Uh, at least that's kind of my interpretation. So, um, so we spent about three weeks in in the lay monastic kind of uh, life uh, while I was in in Thailand, and and it was you know it it was what it was. I mean, it was really different than Western vipassana training. Um, you know, those of you who have been to a vipassana you know uh, uh, meditation retreats, there's this kind of Kind of packed day of sitting and walking and silence and mindful eating and and you know this this kind of structure, um, which is extremely helpful, um, and it's kind of really about detaching from all of the things that um, that kind of distract us and really focusing in on mind training, uh, and I, and you know again I think it's extremely helpful. It's something that I've I've done and been doing for years. Um, and so I kind of was half expecting that when I went there because the other retreats that I had been to in Thailand were similar to this as well. You know, you had a, you had a regiment of things you did every day. And, you know, you were expected to meditate anywhere between eight, ten hours a day. You know, this was all spelled out and saw a teacher, you know, once a day, make sure you're not going crazy. You know, even if you are, they just kind of turn you around and go, you know, just keep meditating and be aware of the craziness, you know. <laughs> and... Um, and so here it was really more of a, a community. It's really a lot about um, how do we live in this kind of monastic tradition um, with you know these set of kind of you know rules of discipline that were taught by the Buddha, you know, uh, that was created that were created by the Buddha uh, two thousand five hundred years ago. And how do we do this in two thousand eight and still? You know, how do we continue? Um, so. It's thought to be and said to be one of the closest um, 
lineages to the actual teaching of the Buddha. Uh, this Theravadan kind of Thai forest, you know, they're a little bit like separatists, anarchists. I actually think that they are a little bit. I actually spoke specifically with uh, one of the monks, and they said, yeah, this is pretty much the perfect anarchist uh, society. You know, and it kind of they're really on their own deal, you know, they're, and, and their deal is to become awakened, to become enlightened. Um, so, but the day-to-day is really about community and about mindful communication and mindful eating, and there is definitely chanting and, and practice time, and everyone that's there is expected to practice as much as possible, but it's not regimented and it's not spelled out. It's really up to you. And, and the only instruction that I got really was... Um, while you're here, be mindful in everything you do. Bring mindful awareness to everything you do. You know, and then there's, you know, we go out on alms rounds and we, you know, have one meal a day and we, you know, try not to sleep a whole lot and we, you know, don't sleep on, you know, high or luxurious beds and there's no whistling or singing or playing music or, you know, there's all these other things that are kind of suggested to keep focused on the practice aspect of it. Um, so, so this was my first, you know, few weeks there, and little did I know actually that it was the there, there was this gearing up for one of the largest yearly events uh, in 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 this part of Thailand, which is kind of Ajahn Chah's uh, memorial, like birthday kind of celebration uh, of Ajahn Chah, this this uh, Thai forest meditation master who had passed away. And so I didn't really know this, you know, and um, and then all these kind of big wigs in the in the Vipassana world are showing up, you know, Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn Brahm and all these all these teachers from around the world, Australia, New Zealand, England, you know, all these different some who I've heard of, some books I've read, are just like here in this monastery that I'm kind of just visiting, and it was really um, interesting, actually. Because it felt a little bit like the Dharma Mafia, like a little bit like like the the, the Goodfellas, you know. Like um, there was like the Ajahn Sumedho was like the, the new Godfather, he's like in his eighties, and and there was these, these all these kind of lieutenant, you know, like you know, heads of families that have their own branch monasteries, and and this is my mind, you know, because I'm kind of like I'm into the Mafia thing, like I really like Sopranos, you know, it's crazy, and I'm and. Uh, you know, my family's from New York, and it's just always something I've always just been into. But, um, like, learning about, understanding about. And then also, um, that was one comparison I had, and then I was talking with a novice uh, there, uh, a novice monk who had been, you know, a, a year, two years uh, as a monastic. And, and, and he was uh, saying, like, the first time he went out on, um, on alms rounds, which you go out at, like, 5 in the morning, it's just starting to get light, and um, and then there's these like, you know, there's like groups, little pods of you know five or or you know three at least three to five monks and then a couple of lay people like myself, um, kind of going out in the neighborhoods, right, and kind of taking over the street really. And, they, and it reminded me a little bit of a gang actually, like all the same color, they have their bowls, kind of walking through the villages, you know, and 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 the families are coming out and they're they're giving alms, you know, they're 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 giving uh, donation, you know, for goodwill, for good merit, you know. So it's really I I, I saw this kind of monastic tradition as as one being like this. Uh, you know this kind of mafia of goodwill and 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 happiness. You know, like they have some compassion and 
and, and uh, wisdom as their kind of main, you know, code of ethics. And, um, and then also like a little bit like a gang as they kind of were taking into the streets, you know, once a day. Um, and it was interesting to, to, to have that experience. And then to go to this, another branch monastery, Ajahn Chah's monastery, and, um, and experience overwhelming amount of um, gratitude, of dana, of giving, of, of just so much of uh, suki or sukha, which is called happiness, you know, this like, just kind of giving freely. Because there was about one, there was about a thousand, maybe 900 uh, monks from this lineage that all came to this one place, camping in the forest and around this monastery. Right, and each day there was just teachings and teachings, and monks walking around with tattoos, and like it was great. I was like, "Yeah, this is cool," you know. Like I, I could really dig it. And then there was all of these lay people, you know, people. Everyone's dressed in white, who were there. They were also camping in the, in you know, in the forest. I mean, the monks were here, and the lay people were kind of on the, another part of the monastery grounds. But like two thousand lay people there for a whole week, just. To give thanks and to be present for teachings, for for everything, and they, they, I mean, there was trucks of food that would come in, like not stopping, trucks of food for one meal a day to feed everyone, and it was amazing to be a part of that, and just kind of, I was kind of walking around in this like, just kind of blissful happiness, you know, helping here and you know. Speaking to a monk here, and my like a little bit of Thai that I that I know, and and then hearing translations, and then meditating, and then you know, it just was amazing going through a walk in this bamboo forest, and and it was just this kind of um, started off as kind of being in this in Wat Pananachat, kind of checking it out, and like wow, this little kind of Dharma mafia like gang thing, and then kind of moving out into this like wave of just overwhelming. Um, uh, happiness and uh, giving quality that just w- just took me away, um, and I really kind of got a real strong sense of the community that this uh, uh, Thai monastic tradition is really trying and has been trying to cultivate for years and years and years, and uh, and felt really connected to it, very connected to it, um, and there was you know and there's there's a few Westerners there, but mostly all Thai, you know. You know, like 3,000 people are Thai, maybe 100 Westerners, you know. It was pretty amazing. So that was um, a large part of my time at the monastery was kind of my own solitary practice. Then I really, I stayed away from the the kind of uh, larger Wat Bapong, or the, the larger uh, monastery, until the day before um, Ajahn Chah's memorial because it was so... Overwhelming that I was really kind of really wanted to do some of my own practice, um, and got to do some of that, and that was great. So, so this lineage, you know, from Ajahn Chah to Ajahn Sumedho to Ajahn Amaro to Jack Cornfield to Ajahn Pasano um, to Mary Grace Orr to Noah Levine to myself, you know, it was all part of what happens here, you know, in this uh, center. And and it so the I didn't really know it at the time, but that was a large reason why I went there. And I kind of am coming back with a, like 
like I get these waves of that just like sitting in this room and knowing that I was here before I left and I'm back now you know I, I did some other things I mean I went to India um, and I traveled through India and and I experimented with uh, uh, or uh, yeah I experimented with some of the Mahayana traditions that I have heard about and read about and you know studied philosophy about um, you know I, I received some teachings from His Holiness the Dalai Lama I was in Maklod Ganj and, and, uh, which is Dharamsala India and uh, it was just starting to be spring and the snow was just starting to kind of melt and it was freezing for me because I just come from Thailand where I was like freezing and um, and I received this teachings and um, they were primarily the teachings were primarily about the Dhammapada and the Jataka tales um, and Jataka tales are the, the the stories of prior lives of the Buddha before um, you know he came into the the, the life of uh, Siddhartha Gautama who became you know the you know the, the last Buddha so to speak so anyway, uh, that was an interesting experience coming from this kind of Thai tradition um, and that really kind of open-hearted uh, uh, giving quality to and, and the really simple and deep focus of practice um, to this kind of a little bit like Disneyland in this McLeod Ganj uh, area because, I mean, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is huge, right? So there was 2,000 Westerners. There was, uh, um, in this small town, probably the size of Ben Lomond, you know, you may, probably even smaller than that. And there was, there was you know, hundreds of, of Tibetan monks there for sure. And the security was high. And, there, you know, you had to get checked to get in because there was all this tension, you know. And the tension actually built. And, and so after I left, actually, there was the whole... You know the demonstrations and, and the, the kind of the rioting and whatnot. Well, not really rioting, but there was the demonstrations and the, the ruckus, you know, that was happening. And um, so it was interesting to, to to be involved in this in this teaching where um, where I really kind of resonated with the teacher being His Holiness, but didn't really resonate with the practice of uh, Mahayana kind of Vajrayana. Uh, or Tibetan tradition, um, and and so I, and it was actually was really helpful for me to have that experience to realize that this lineage, the lineage that I kind of fell into, just because I knew a guy who was into this tradition, and have come to and was exposed to. Um, so you know that was uh, it was really helpful for me to kind of have that experience. And um, and still take in some of the teachings and, and feel really uh, uh, good about it and blessed about it. So then, having left that particular place, uh, Maklod Ganj, Dharamsala, I went down to Bodhgaya. Right? Bodhgaya um, is the birthplace of Buddhism, in essence. It's the place where uh, the Buddha decided to sit until he became enlightened. Um, after kind of being in this extreme asceticism and being up in a cave and starving and almost dead through his kind of like uh, solely building concentration practice, you know, he, he kind of saw the, um, you know, the, the delusion in that kind of path and 
kind of in a moment of clarity broke through and realized that no, the middle way is going to be a little more helpful. You know, this not extreme asceticism and not extreme, um, you know, kind of debauchery or hedonism or, you know, pleasure seeking or desire seeking, but really finding this middle path. Uh, so he began to eat a little bit and drink a little bit and then he gained his strength and then he walked down to uh, this place. It's not called, it wasn't called Bodh Gaya at the time. Um, it's called Gaya. It's Gaya. Yeah, that's right. And then he sat down uh, at this one particular tree, which is now known as the Bodhi tree. Um, and he awoke. He awoke to, you know, the reality of, uh, of nature, the reality of things. You know, he saw clearly the uh, three characteristics of existence, you know, being anicca, you know, impermanence, um, that which arises, passes away, being, um, you know, dukkha, suffer, suffering or dissatisfaction in this world, and, you know, what then became the Four Noble Truths, you know, that, that there is a cessation to this suffering. You know, it passes. We don't have to just stay in this cycle of suffering forever. Um, and then the, the also the, the, the quality of what's called anatta, you know, or the characteristic of anatta, of no self. Right? This, there's no fixed and permanent self. So these were some of, these were some of the awakenings that he received in Bodh Gaya. So I kind of half thought, you know, okay, if, if, if I go sit underneath this tree, you know, I might, if a leaf happens to fall from the tree and land on my head, I might awaken, you know. Um, a leaf did fall and hit me on the head and I didn't necessarily awaken. Maybe, I don't know. But I didn't, uh, wasn't struck, you know. But what I was struck with being there is the, uh, the many different ways in which people practice. The dedication that people have. People come from all over the world to just be in this one place. And it was a little bit like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was a little bit maybe like, like Woodstock or something, you know, like, or, or you know, there were people just came from everywhere to kind of be in this place. And there was an energy that was kind of uh, uh, just kind of moving outward from this center, which was this huge temple, and then this, this tree, known as the Bodhi tree. Um, and I mean, I'm talking like, you know, hundreds. At that time, actually, it was getting hotter. So there was only hundreds of people there every you know, every day at one time doing, you know, many different kinds of practice. So it was really a, a, a great experience for me to be there. And I started, I had a few experiences of going there late in the evening um, after the kind of ruckus had died down. I mean, we're talking people chanting over bullhorns and 50 people kind of reciting the chants with circumambulating around this temple. And then there's people trying to meditate and people reading and playing with mala beads and there's you know all different things happening all the time so this listening meditation this sound meditation is really a, a good practice you know uh, in, in, a, in a place like this you know. um, um, brought me back to that that when I first began to kind of meditate and there was all these kind of sounds in this meditation center that I not it was actually was a dojo it was a uh, practice hall that I used to go to um so using the sound meditation, which was kind of, I gave that simple direction of just, you know, list, like bringing awareness to the comings and goings of sound. Uh, because it's, it's you know, just like the breath, just like, you know, the body sensations, always present. Uh, 
So maybe that was something that people were able to kind of resonate with tonight. I definitely in Bodh Gaya had had a. That was the only thing that worked. Like my breath, I couldn't even connect. I had to really use something else, and 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 there was so much sound everywhere that it was really uh, helpful to begin to kind of shift that awareness. So yeah, you, you know, and I was in retreat all day, and and then I'd go to the Bodhi tree in the evening and sit there as well. It was it was a good experience. I definitely recommend if you. Uh, if you plan on going to India, check out Bodh Guy. It's definitely a trip. Um, so my next stop, you know, before I kind of went off on my own a little bit, was the uh, was I went to Sarnath, and Sarnath is the place of uh, the Buddha's first teaching, the first official teaching, um, where he he talked about uh, uh, you know the, the the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the middle way. And so being there, you know, it was the same. I mean, it, it, this is the thing about that my friend had joked with me, there's no Buddhism in in India, you know. And the truth is that there was very little practicing Buddhists in India. It almost has been completely annihilated as a religion in India. Um, but there is the essence that is there that, um, that I found... Uh, I, I found I, I, I didn't know that I didn't even know that I needed it because I didn't really have a plan I just kind of decided to go traveling and do a little bit of a, build, a Buddhist pilgrimage while I was there it was my like my excuse to tell my teachers and you know family yeah I'm going to go do this and it became you know just developed into this for me it was you know definitely a life changing um, experience so yeah so being at Sarnath and the Deer Park of seeing, and then also it's helpful to have a little bit of the history too, and um, so that was a little bit of my experience, a little bit of my travel, um, a little bit of lineage, uh, talk, really feeling the connection with uh, this Thai forest tradition of um, Theravada and Vipassana uh, that is, you know, so kind of prevalent around here. And I even, you know, thought about just becoming a full-time monastic. While I was there, but actually, pretty quickly. Well, I mean, I did, and then pretty quickly, I I, um, I realized that you know the work that I do in in the world um, and staying engaged as engaged as I can uh, in in the in the West here um, is pretty important, also. Uh, and that I think here in in the United States specifically, finding a way to be um, to to be to practice in this kind of this kind of way of the elders, this old tradition, old technique, and and be engaged in the now, in right here. Like, how can we do this? This is our challenge, right? Unless you feel like going to Thailand and giving it all up, men or women, it's totally possible. So that's what kind of. So here I am, back here, kind of doing the next thing, whatever the next thing is. Um, you know, still kind of homeless. You know, I've been back a few weeks. I'm still kind of living out of a backpack. Uh, you know, I gave up my place of living. That I was living for like five years and just kind of like quit my job and just kind of went. And, you know, I'm back and we'll see what happens next. But um, 
Yeah, so that's probably enough out of me. Um, so I just kind of wanted to open up maybe for some questions you guys have about the particular trip uh, or practice, and then um, we'll kind of move on. Please. I, I just had a question. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.